Virginia is sort of in its own renaissance of film production, filmmaking. And I saw, you know, I was watching a couple interviews with you, you know, recently you, were, you did a West Virginia kind of tour and you spoke about it. Um, your desire, obviously you're from West Virginia, from Princeton. Um, you got your your break in a, in a coffee commercial, um, which is pretty cool um, in launching the business. But maybe now just like as you're, you know, you've been a couple of decades in the business and then now with your home state kind of pushing forward this film credit production, which is very attractive for, you know, movies and documentaries and whatnot. What's that mean to you? Do you have, does that fire you up? Does that feel like you can really lean into this now at this part of your career to maybe start doing your own projects or participating in projects back home in the mountain state? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when they finally brought back the tax incentive, that means that every every $30 is going back to someone who spends 100 which is great. That's, that's just a huge incentive for someone to invest in your projects. Now, the downside that added is a lot of people haven't invested in a project before, so they're kind of going, I don't know this world. What do you mean I'm investing in? What do you mean I'm getting this back? So they don't understand that, that, that game yet. Um, once that starts to get figured out, I, without a doubt, the mountain state's going to just boom even more than it is right now because it's such a great way for us to bring people in. Well, how are people making money? Well, you're getting the 30% back, but you're also making that money back on hotels, food, gas, all those other things, people are bringing them in. That's a huge incentive for me to be able to come back. I always wanted to work back home. I just, if I could live back home right now, I would. Um, but the first film that I ever did that I was a, a significant lead in was A Christmas Tree Miracle. And that was shot in Wheeling, West Virginia. And we just had our 10 year anniversary at the Granada about three weeks ago. And we, you know, showed it all over again and had about 300 people show up. And it was just lovely to have a lot of the cast and crew to come all the way down to uh, southern West Virginia and hang out and just get people together. And people love the movie. It's, it's now streaming on family time, so people can go to a, a, their smartphone or on their smart TV and download the free site called Family Time, and they can watch the movie for free. Um, we're also now working on Christmas Tree Miracle 2, which is great. So that's exciting for me to be able to bring that back to West Virginia as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Catch us up to speed on December Sky and where you guys are at on that. You're teaming up with Homer Hickam the um Tanel brothers and you know trying to also make this another West Virginia film you know obviously a lot of uh different projects you're working on clearly but kind of catch us up to date with that as well and where that's at because the last time that you were here you were scouting out some sites it was very early stages where are you guys at now with that yeah when we came in and actually where we bumped into you was at the governor's mansion uh Jeff and Bob Tunnell, myself and Homer Hickam were mm -hmm. there, and along with Burke Allen. Mm -hmm. And um, our whole goal there was for the five of us to collectively come together, five West Virginia boys come together and let's jump in a van. And um, we went down to um, to Colwood. Yeah. And uh, we even had the, uh, the film, you know, the film team was there with us, you know, from from the state. They came down and we went down to Colwood and uh, just walked the area. We wanted to see where Homer launched that rocket. We wanted to feel it. We wanted to see and touch everything. Um, once we got back, we had something called the actor strike happen. Yeah. yeah. So, right, you know, we're coming off the heels, of course, of the pandemic, and then we get back to work, and then the actor strike happens, and that's another nine months where no one would take a phone call. So we're, what, we are the 16th 
so we're two weeks into January now, and we've literally had our first call of the year because no one works until the second week or third week of January. <laughs> so we had our first call of the year, and that's our process right now is trying to get someone to say, look how important this IP is, October Sky. You know, this this movie was massive, and it yeah. still continues to grow from Homer's Rocket Boy series book. And um, if, if we play our cards right, the goal is we can shoot this in West Virginia as, as, as much as possible, hopefully all of it be able to uh, get the tax rebate there, help everyone out and make a movie that West Virginia can be proud of. That's yeah. our goal is to shoot something that we really are proud of. And what better way than to shoot something about Homer Hickam. So yeah. that's just yeah. I, we'll get back to Christmas Miracle 2 and December Sky. Take us inside this, the writer strike or the, the actor strike, please. I mean, what does that kind of entail what does that look like give us like a, a localized perspective of what that was like for everybody because it was a super chaotic time tv shows are running reruns from years ago you know i mean it was it was a pretty chaotic time in television history yeah i mean the last time we had a smaller strike was 2007 mm -hmm. and i you know I, I was through that as well now that's when things changed dramatically and then we thought we're okay but the problem we've had with all these years is it's it's hard for it's hard for people to understand what everyone's going through because actors have to make x amount of dollars every year if you're in the union just to qualify for insurance there's only about that many actors that qualify for insurance so if if you're not having your own actors be able to qualify for insurance that means the little bit of money that they are making they're spending that money on health insurance and yeah. they're barely getting by so that was a huge, huge problem. The other problem was the AI issue, which if you go in and you are doing a project and you just happen to get scanned, well, then they can use your image for every project forever and ever and ever and ever. And A, not have to pay you ever again, but B, it saves them money because they're just regenerating something they already have. Well, that's not fair. It's just like a song. If someone uses a song, you play it, you get paid for it. Yeah. Um, there, there's, it really wasn't the salaries that was the biggest issue. It was mainly things like that is just making sure that everyone's being protected and trying to allow everyone to work and, you know, be able to survive. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I knock on wood every day, man. I've been doing this, you know, 20 some odd years. And, you know, every year that's my responsibility is making sure we have our insurance. That's, yeah. that's the goal as an actor. And then you got to make sure you make money for your pension and, that's the whole world. Right. So when we blew up and the sack strike actually happened, um, I remember saying when it happened, I said, this is going to either end in one month or it's going to go for <laughs> a year. Yeah. And it went almost nine and a half months. Wow. Yeah. Because when we teamed up with the writers, that's when the leverage happened. The writers were one thing. The DGA, the directors go like, hey, we got what we want. We're good. But the writers were really fighting. And I think if it wasn't for the writers, the SAG strike would not have lasted as long as it did. They joined at the hip and they made it what it was.
All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Wanted to take a quick break to tell you about our guy, DJ EJ. So we've got the Almost Heaven Classic coming up this year, New River Gorge region coming off the heels of a super successful year one. We're super excited for year two. But part of the reason that we felt like year one was so successful was because of our partnership with DJ EJ. He really helped elevate the vibe. Everybody walked away from the event saying, man, the vibe vibe, the energy, the ambiance in the room was unparalleled on Friday night's networking event. And we want you to have that same feeling. Cooper, EJ, man, he really set the mood for us there. He did. And I think it can work for other people's businesses. So like CJ said, you know, lights, music, uh, the overall feeling of your event has to be curated. It has to create the ambiance. You can't just rely on it just happening because people walk in, it's awkward, it's stale, it's quiet. You don't want that at your event. You want people talking about it. You want the room buzzing and you want the collateral afterwards with people posting posting on social media and we think DJ EJ does that hire him directly you can work with him he'll come to your event and he will crush it and we're honored to partner with him if you're listening to this and you're Mountaineer Media fan reach out to us mountaineermedia.org DJ EJ uh, backslash collaboration and that'll get you right to it just hit us up on social media we'll find you we'll connect you with DJ thanks for listening to the Mountaineer Media Podcast It seems like it, it makes sense that if we, you know, if, we, if you look at this, like, you know, like you mentioned, AI and technology, the first two major industries to lead sort of like a, a revolution within their own industry is within within the film and production and acting career. And then sports where we watch these athletes on TV with the NIL deals. Right. So the last three to four years, if we look at both of these scenarios, it kind of makes sense that the two most visible like aspects of, you know, what we consume is, you know, consumers sports we watch movies the technology we watch technology kind of like we the industry basically had to figure out how do we behave in a new digital world where you know like what does it mean to have your face repeated on a facebook ad and on instagram reel and is that valuable to be if hbo is using you know your image and name image and likeness you know or something constantly on their you know on their social media accounts how do we compensate for that so to me i guess i mean it makes sense that those two industries went through it first i think that's just you know all industries will eventually kind of process their own version of tech but maybe drilling down into with production and films and movies specifically with streaming now is you know like a show like succession i mean like those are miniature movies every single episode it's an hour long i mean they're essentially you're watching nine movies over the over the course of a season how do you as an actor as a profession i mean are people still striving is is the goal of a main actor to be in a a big box feature movie or is it now like with tv and even hell youtube and social media content the production quality and the script writing and the the you know mr beast and all these things that are high high level media that's a desirable pass so like where do you think that i mean our actors and are you guys maybe where do you fall on it like when you look at a project does it matter to you which where it is or what screen you appear on and how do you kind of navigate that changing world well let's go let, let's answer that question and go back in time back in time when i even moved out here 25 whatever years ago um it was all about movies it was all movies you know you wanted to be in the biggest film as possible uh and then if a movie actor did a television show that was weird like you know to have brad pitt guest starring on friends or whatever that was just what too much of a crossover yeah right right it was almost like a soap opera actor going to do a tv show it's like it's almost like people had to stay in their lanes you're a commercial actor you're a soap 
you're a nighttime uh, friends type of comedic actor, and then you're a, you're a film actor. And that's the, just the way it's always been. And then all of a sudden, they started seeping backwards. And I think the reason for that was when the actors were saying, why in the heck am I going on location for six months when I can work right here on a TV show that runs Monday through Friday? It's almost like a nine to five-ish type of a job because you come in on Monday, you do a table read, you talk about it, you're out in three hours, four hours, you go home. Tuesday, you come to the set, you talk through it, maybe you walk and talk, start blocking a little bit. Wednesday, the cameras start coming in. Now we know where we're at. Thursday, you do run-throughs and run-throughs and run-throughs. Friday, you tape it, you're done. So that's your typical, like when I did Will and Grace years ago, I guess start on there, that was the format. A, B, C, D, E, just boom. You're done. You have weekends, you get your script, you go play, and you come back on Monday. Well, people like that schedule. Yeah. They have families. They don't want to travel as much. They like the staying home aspect of it. And then we bring in what we call now streaming, which was, you know, back, it was House of Cards. That's what changed the game. Mm -hmm. Netflix, House of Cards, what the heck is going on? They're on location in Baltimore, but it was that show that people go, wait a minute. That's a, that's a pretty cool idea. Now, as we've moved along, it's turned into Netflix, Hulu, Max Originals. <laughs> so they don't need the theaters as much. They have their own world. Now, diehard theater people, my son, diehard movies. Yeah, I'll watch stuff here and there. I want to go to the movies. I want that experience. I love that atmosphere. I love that world. But to answer your question, what is it like now? What are we looking for? What is it trending? Um I, I mean, it's nice to be able to go on location a little bit, but it's so great to be able to live at home and go to work. Ooh, it's yeah. really great. So does that mean that's a Netflix project? Well, it's better if it's a social media project or a, a streaming project now because of the SAG strike than it was nine months ago. Because nine months ago, I would be making less on a series than I would be now. Yeah. Well, wow. even re even residuals as an, uh, a day player or, you know, three episodes, whatever. Now, having said that, what you make as an actor on a streaming series is dramatically different on residuals, residuals only as what you would make on a uh, network series. Hmm. OK, yeah, night and day, night and day. So, I mean, right before the SAG strike happened, I was three weeks away from the SAG strike and I. I did this top of show for uh, NCIS and it was mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, a few weeks later, the SAG strike hit. What I didn't realize is to go back to what you said earlier, they're rerunning stuff left and right, left and right. We're not getting new shows. It was great for anyone who had a show like myself or anyone else that landed something because they kept rerunning that show. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. I'm like, this is not up, boys. perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it kind of worked out, you know, so if you're a series regular on some of these shows, that's great for you. I mean, okay. The Costner series. Um, what's the Costner series? Not Yellowstone. What's it called? Um, the Yellowstone. Is that the one? Is that the big yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. So Yellowstone, if you know, they were on Paramount plus. Well, then all of a sudden Paramount plus is like, Hey, we got a great audience. We're doing great. It's Taylor Sheridan's the king of the world. He's killing it with all the shows he's doing. But CBS over here, who owns Paramount, is saying, well, I'm glad you guys are happy, but we need to do something. Yeah. So then an executive says, why don't we flip it and bring it back to CBS? 
and we'll re-edit it to where it's uh, lose the language and lose some of the content here and there. That was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Because now they have a completely different audience. The older generation that's like, I don't know what Paramount Plus is. I can't, the TV's not working. Yeah, they right. turn yeah. on the TV, hit channel two. It's on. Yeah. I'll tell and you. They have, they have a brand new audience now. And, you know, they have new advertisers, Tide and whoever else is advertising. So, that I can't even imagine what that specific series alone on both networks or streaming and, and network did. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And I'll give you another example too, where it seems like we're going backwards. It's a different, uh, it's a different path now uh, on Hulu. There's a show only murders in the building. Great show. Very funny. And on, ABC on, uh, just yeah. bought the rights to that. So they're airing that show on ABC now. So it started as a Hulu original streaming only. And now you can see it on, on network TV, but it's just like, uh, what? And what a mind twist, you know? Of, yeah, my, my mom uh, or, brought that up the other day. She's like, oh, I, there's a new show coming out. Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> what? My wife has been watching it for years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's they're funny. getting that generation. They're getting another just... And not that they're older, it's just they just don't deal with it's the streaming different. side of it. It's like yeah. someone who has a flip phone. I'm yep. happy with my flip phone. I don't need a iPhone. I'm happy with what yep. I got. Yeah. So. And my dad is the same way. It's so funny that we're even having this discussion. My, my dad's pretty with it. Computer skills, iPhone skills, but he is just anti-Netflix, Hulu. Like he will not pay for a streaming service until the day he... You know, yep. the good Lord takes him. But it's just one of those things that you're setting your ways when you're setting your ways. Well, it's interesting because you start talking about streaming. Um, you guys are, I'm assuming, like some sort of sports. But, you know, one of the playoff games, you had to get on Peacock. Peacock. I know. It's crazy. And the other one, you have to watch, you know, Prime to yeah. watch. It. Yep. So here's my question. And I've had this discussion with a lot of my friends lately. Is is the streaming network, is it going to get so big that it, it explodes and it just crushes each other? Or, or are we going to keep that the way it is and it's going to be pay for, pay for, pay for, and then we lose all the network channels, like the basic, the two, fours, and sixes? I think so. I think it's I think it's so fractionalized now because everybody has their in, own individual attention and like interest. Like everything is like you could drill down and we have so much information and data and analytics on what you like and the algorithm. So it's like everybody can kind of live in their own world content wise. So I think you see that played out by all the different providers of the material, of the movies, of the content, of the shows is all that hyper individual. The problem is as a consumer, you end up with like 19 subscriptions that are East yeah. 699 and Don't you're paying you're more paying than yeah. you were for the cut. The, there's a funny memes where it's like, why don't we just all bundle all these together and put it on one thing? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, Oh, now we're hey, back. Well, to cable. Yeah, exactly. But well, you know how it, it is. It, you you get this show because you want that, and then you're like, "Well, okay," but I don't really watch any of the other shows. But the other shows on that one, you're like, right, "Watch yeah. one show." Yeah, yeah. And that I used never... to be, and that used to be the way it was when they did. I don't know what service you have there, but out here it's Spectrum or DirecTV or whatever it may be. But they'll have the packages, right? You can get level one, level two, level yeah. three. Well, level one gives you blah 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 in ESPN. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Well, level two gives you blah, 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 and ESPN, and then maybe ESPN Plus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the third one, it might be NFL Network. You're like, I got to get them all. I know. I'm, I know. I'm notorious for it. My wife kills me because I'll sign up for, like you just described, Kevin, I'll sign up for something because I want to watch one thing and then I forget. Yeah. And then, like, 
then I never even pay attention to it. I'm like, why are we paying for this? And it's like, you know, 11 <laughs> of these later, it's like, yeah, that's the, the equivalent. That is the equivalent of why people love the companies love gift cards. Because yeah. when I send you a gift card, if you don't do something with it right away, what happens? You forget, yeah, you forget about it. Right. Yeah. Who makes money? <laughs> Dang, that's funny. Yeah, that's an interesting take. But you're right. Yeah. Even the, the comparison yeah. to streaming is like, yeah, very, uh, very parallel there. And my ne- my nephew got me uh, two gift cards and I literally have them loaded, like sitting on my computer because <laughs> if I don't see it every day, I'm going to not. Yeah. I'm, it's gone. Yeah. It's yeah. gone. You had mentioned that your son Gunner is, as has, you know, he, he's pretty deep in the water when it comes into the same industry. What are the, what are the things that you talk about with him? What are the trends, the discussions that you guys have? Because obviously when you were his age, the industry was a little different. What are the things that maybe has Gunnar ever said something to you and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Or maybe kind of sparked your mind a little bit and just to see it through his perspective, I'm sure is, is pretty unique. Yeah. When, well, when I was Gunnar's age, he's 18. Well, he just turned 19. When I was Gunner's age, I was actually in Pittsburgh at the Art Institute studying. And I had no, I mean, I thought I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I had no clue how to get there. I had no direction. I had no guidance. I just, I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, but you're from West Virginia. How are you going to do that? I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I came from. Literally, that's where I was at. As we talk right now, that's exactly where my mindset was. I'm I was like riding on the hoods of cars going down Pittsburgh Avenue as my buddies are filming and they would I'd do my own stunt. I was doing everything just just to try to figure this stupid business out. Um, Gunnar and I's conversation is he is so he's so intellectual when it comes to this. I mean, he's probably the hardest worker I've ever seen. He studies and practices and works and just he's so intelligent Um Basic conversations for us really are me just listening to him because he is so knowledgeable every now and again. I mean, I, you know, I'll give him my two cents. Mainly my whole thing for him is always pre-production yeah. in life and even in his career. You know, hey, before you head out tomorrow, what time you have to get up for that croak uh, five o'clock? You have to get up at five. Great. Just so you know, if I were you, lay your stuff out tonight. Just lay it out tonight because you're going to be up at 4.15 going to 4.30 or yeah. maybe 4.55 because you're running late and you're going to forget something. So it's those types of things. But I, I'm there just as a, as a sounding board. Every now and again, he'll he'll throw something my way and ask me for my opinion. And, and, and I'm happy to give it. It just makes me feel great. And also, my wife is very knowledgeable in this business, too. So he has two people there to support him when needed. Um but what Gina and I are now doing is just watching. We're set back and be like, this is amazing. Just to see him grow and flourish and, and enjoy doing what he's doing and uh, being able to work on a show while he's in or shows while he's in school is, is fantastic. It's just really, really a blessing. Yeah. Well, y'all did, y'all did something right, man. Congrats on that. He seems like a, a well, you know, well on his way young man. That's, that's awesome, man. You should be mm-hmm. very proud of that. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you about not to change gears too much. You know, we we talk we often talk about you know West Virginia values, and we have this podcast. We've had you know global CEOs, you know Brad Smith, John Chambers, these people that lead industry. Uh, you know, Olympic gold medalists, all these people from West Virginia. If you look anywhere at any industry, odds are there's a West Virginian at the top of it, um, and a lot of them lean back on this this common this core theme that we kind of repeat here on the podcast is these West Virginia values: resiliency, creativity, work ethic, and 
and that sort of thing. Um, as an actor, though, you know, by definition, right, you're acting, you're not necessarily being yourself on screen, you, you might be representing something else. But undoubtedly, your own influence, personality, characteristics, principles kind of come through in the roles maybe that you play. How have you maybe navigated your career? Do you feel like in the role, is there any kind of West Virginianness that you bring to the role? Do you kind of fall back on any memories or core abilities or characteristics or family lessons from growing up in these hills and the characters that you play on screen? And and maybe how have you kind of navigated the career being a West Virginian? Like you said early on, like you told everybody, I'm going to be an actor, but you're from West Virginia. A lot of people's eyes probably roll and said, yeah, well, good luck. We'll see how that happens. Lo and behold, like you made it happen. But like, what does that mean to you as a West Virginian, as you navigate your career? Career and how maybe you've embraced it? Yeah, good question. Um, you never, I think the hardest character to play is yourself. So if someone said, hey, Kevin, we're going to do a TV show and it's about you, which no one would do that. No one cares. But if, if they did that, I would not know what to do with myself because mm. I'd be fidgeting. But then you have to also understand, for the most part, when you're an actor, you are yourself. You're just using other people's words so you still have the same feeling unless there's certain things that really happens in the script that you have to completely deviate from my main thing is how would you respond if you were in this situation when this happens most of the time if you can correlate that to the script and the story it's it's accurate you know if you, know, you stub your toe well, you just you stubbed your toe. I mean, it freaking hurts. Yeah. So you take those you take those basics of life and you implement them into the story. Now, coming back from the West Virginia side, it's the humble side. It's just knowing that you know this can be taken away from you any day of the week. I don't care what job it is, whether you're an actor, plumber, doctor, lawyer, mechanic. It doesn't matter. If you love what you do, that's the most important thing. And if you treat people the way you want to be treated, whether you make it as an actor or not, doesn't matter. Because, you know, people, this is what I was telling my, my son as a filmmaker, when he's putting projects out there from now on to the rest of his life, don't try to please people because it's going to be, you're going to be so let down because everything you do, even what you guys are doing, people are going to watch this interview or past interviews that you've done. And they might leave you a comment like, well, that was boring. Mm -hmm. guess what that's their opinion yeah. but the next person might have been like that was phenomenal because they were connected and they got something out of it so in the arts no matter what you do paint or whatever it's subjective anything that we do that's public knowledge is subjective and it's hard not to you know wow you know fred didn't like my performance and he gave me a bad mark or you know Lisa thought I was horrible. Well, yeah, it doesn't feel good if no one likes what you do. Still doesn't mean you didn't connect with someone. You know, you hear stories all the time of people saying stuff like, um, I, I've heard this like with my friends who have been in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. They're like, listen, if I can help one person not drink, if I can just help one person out of all the thousands of people that I talk to, I've done my job. Same with uh -huh. us. If we could just connect with one person and let one person go, yeah, maybe because of what Kevin said, I do want to be an actor. Or maybe because of what, you know, CJ or Cooper said or, or they're doing, maybe I'd like to do my own podcast. Dude, that's, that's success. I mean, your success, my success and everyone else's success are completely different. For me, success is a few things. Number one, when I'm old 
I hope my son wants to come and visit me. I hope he wants to have a conversation with me. That's kind of cool. Because if he doesn't want to hang out with me, that's not good. Yeah. Right? And number two, I would like to be able to go places and be able to not have to be extravagant, but I want to be able to go somewhere and not have to save up for six months to do it. If I can do that and I'm healthy and I have a visitation for my son every now and again, because he's going to be all over the place. My wife and I are together hanging out, watching whatever the channel is going to be, Neptune flicks or whatever it's going to be called when we're old, right? <laughs> that is success. You know, my work, my work is what it is. I, people are going to like it or they're going to hate it. I can't, I can't do anything with that. I love doing it and I enjoy it a lot, but I can't change your mind whether you like it or not. I, I you know, just, it is what it is. That's yeah. That's an interesting take. And it, it's, I'm reading a book right now, Rick Rubin's book. And I, I recommend it to you. It's, I think it's called like the creative way of being or creative act. And it's this concept that he shares, you know, he's worked with, you know, dozens and dozens of musicians. And it's the concept of the audience comes last. And at first people that maybe are not in the creative business or maybe shocked by that, what do you mean? Like you create this art for the audience. The audience is what dictates it. But his whole thing is that like, I mean, if it's, if it's, if you're making it kind of going around, hoping that other people will like it or curating it to their maybe current demands or preferences, then it's one, not going to be authentic to you. And then two, it's not going to come across um, as a real exploration. It's kind of clear that it's been curated. And I think, people in social media and all this world, like algorithms. I think sometimes people think, yeah, chasing what other people's opinions. And if I make this piece of content about West Virginia, then I'll get a bunch of people to agree with me. It ends up being not authentic, not, not, not my best work. And half the people are pissed off. Anyway, my best work often comes where it's just truly like, I'm almost just making it as a self-expression. And if you like it, great. And I, I thought it was a cool TikTok or Instagram reel or blog piece those pieces always do better when it's almost like it was just, I'm selfishly writing it just to get it out of my being. And if it resonates with the greater world, that's perfect. But if it doesn't, that's fine. Cause I, I the, the art was for me just to get it off my chest. So I think what you dropped there was, was pretty good advice. Really? Like you said, for anybody, it didn't have to be actors, people, anything, any pursuit of any career. Um, it's maybe to be a little bit selfish in that regard, because in, in that pursuit of selfishness, it will be relatable, authentic, and true to you. And I think more people ironically find that interesting than you trying to figure out what they think is interesting, if that makes sense. Well, it's because you are doing it because you love it. Mm -hmm. If you do something that you really love, it comes across, whether it's a your date, whether it's your work, whether you're writing a book, whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, you know, Gunner, Gunner and I, you know, I, I remember having this conversation with him because he did a project. I'm like, Gunner, you got to make sure that you do connect with other people, make sure that there is that element of, you know, everyone's able to understand the story. But at the same time, he's telling me, this is the story that I want to make. And I'm like, well, who am I to tell you how to make your story? Yeah. That's your story. Mm -hmm. So do what you want to do and kind of find your voice, whatever your voice is, wherever it's going, find your voice and bang that drum. Keep banging that drum because if you bang it loud enough, people are going to finally go, wow, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. And yeah, that book, Creative Way, uh, a, a way of being Rick Rubin. Yeah. Get that. I'll send Look it, it up, man. 
Yeah, it's awesome. It seems like he would be all over. It seems like a smart kid. I mean, do you think the the whole Gen Z, every generation fears the generation after and before them just didn't understand it. My parents didn't get it. Elvis Presley, you know, like everybody has that feeling that the generation above and below them are somehow just missing the mark. But Gen Z catches a lot of crap about social media and that sort of thing. I mean, as, as a father of someone who is in that, you know, 18 to 25 year old kid range, like, what do you think about it? Like the, the, the people that you're interacting now, probably professionally on sets or, or even of that age, like what's your take on, on how they're handling the world or, you know, navigating their profession. The good thing is Gunner is not a huge social media guy. Um, he, I think the, the thing that he mainly does is he likes scrolling through some of the stories cause it's just fun. Right. Compelling, yeah. But he's not like, hey, I got to get out there and do something every day. He could care less when he's working. He doesn't even have his phone on him. It's just I'm mm-hmm. quite impressed that he's doing that or has always done that. Um, when it comes to working, here's the biggest problem I see. I see a lot of kids who are trying so hard to impress people. I see a lot of kids who get depressed easy. Why? Because they're trying to so hard to impress people. So if they're not getting 600 likes, cause that's what yeah. they got last. They're yeah. like, Oh my God, I've got, okay. I've got to, I've got to do two oranges on top of each other now. Maybe not one. You know, it's like, they got to do something and oh, that's, that's a job. I mean, it's really what these kids are doing. They're making a ton of money. I can see, I, I know many of them that are making hundreds and thousands of dollars, making a lot of money doing these videos. I was talking to one of my friends and I said, where are you going? She said, oh, we're going to go to uh, London. Oh, just for family? No, we're going to go over there and shoot some videos for TikTok. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're <laughs> killing true. it. They're killing it. So yeah. to have that mentality, it's just a different world. And um, not one that I'm, you know, I, I understand social media enough to get by, but not to that level. And it does scare me to know that the the, the future below them, I mean, the the next group, they're even going to be more included in that because they're also coming through the pandemic, just like these kids did. Mm-hmm. So I think the pandemic did a lot to people. I think it, I think it opened up a lot of people and it made a lot of people kind of close in. Um, but what it can't do is be used as an excuse. It is what it is. You, you know, we grew up, you move on. You figure it out, you move on. You can't sit there and try to move on and go, but I can't because of this. Mm -hmm. I go here and they just go and they live here. And that's not healthy. So that's the biggest concern I have is get out and just meet people. You know, my wife and I and Gunnar, we all went to uh, New York for New Year's Eve. And everyone's like, that was a stupid. I go, no, 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 we, we didn't go. We didn't hang out right there. We were there. And then about five o'clock when it's time to, everyone starts coming in, we go back down to the lower West side, but walking around, I was telling Gina, I said, this is amazing. I love just being here, walking around, just meeting people. We met so many wonderful people. Yeah. Or we could stay in the apartment and say, Hey, how was New York? Oh, it was great. The apartment was fantastic. It was lovely. What'd you yeah. do? Yeah. Well, we watched Succession all night. It was great. Yeah, yeah. That was well, great. There was that. Where's the? I forget where it was out of, but the video of as the ball's dropping. It wasn't in New York, but everybody's holding their phone. I think we've probably all seen it. It was just like what in dystopian, the world? Yeah, yeah it, it felt weird. very dystopian. It was. I mean, every single person was holding their phone up, filming the ball drop, and it was like I think we have lost 
why we're doing this or it's almost like we're forgetting how to be human. It's funny you say that because the more you say that, the more I keep remembering I've slowly stopped trying to video as much because, you know, I always videoed Gunner and our family and, you know, hey, look, you know, we're always doing stuff. And and Gunner was always the one saying this. I mean, from an early age, he would go, we don't need to record everything. We've got it right here. Yeah. Just yeah. live it. Just let it be. What, yeah. what, what do you, I mean, what do you, when you look at these videos, what are you going to do? You're going to look at them. I mean, are you going to put a video compilation together? Yeah, I'm going to do that. When? I've had videos yeah. for how many years and I haven't done anything with them. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. You never go back and look at like a screen, even a screenshot. I don't think I've ever looked at anything I've screenshotted. I don't know why the hell. Yeah. It's you know, like, I, I think I have 45,000 photographs on my iPhone and 10,000 <laughs> videos. <laughs> Keep buying that cloud space. Keep buying the cloud right. space. <laughs> but, but I've, I've got to keep, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. When you, when you think about it now, I'm going to be like, I got to go back and delete all this shit now. Okay, yeah. yeah. And it takes an entire day to go through and clean up your phone. It's like, it really does. That's, yeah. That's it's, an, it's an important one. Someone asked me too, it's like, how do you make the best content? I think I was talking to somebody and it's, I, I think my advice is to do cool things in real life and then hope that it gets documented and that ends up being the best kind of content. Like, so if, and we're obviously in a media podcasting content world, but if I, I think if you take a healthy approach to it, I think you can find a balance, but um, yeah, I mean, it is, it is a, it's a weird phenomenon that we're living. It's a, to me, it's like I, with the podcast, it's like, how can I not be as performative as possible? How can we have these conversations authentically? How can we try to not be, you know, just a little bit of a different, you know, fake version of it? Cause I think people can sniff it out and hopefully that you try your best to be, you know, as authentic as, as you can with people. And I think it comes across, but it is a, it is a balance that we have to figure out and in society that with this whole this content world and for better for worse that we're, we're drawn to it i think ultimately we're drawn to stories i mean at the end of any you know movie you know whatever show you're telling a story it's it's the medium is film the medium is tv the medium is movie but at the end of the day it's storytelling and humans are since the dawn of time sitting around a campfire we're drawn to just hearing about something oh tell me about what you did you went off into the world you came back to the campsite and you're going to tell me what happened that is what we're doing in all these different ways. I just don't know if humans were designed to have, you know, these this many stories that this different, this many different ways coming at them and processing and all that. So hopefully it's we can sensory, kind of that, that, that's the sensory overload that we're on right now. It's literally going back even to the streaming stuff. It's it's too many cars in the car lot to choose from, man. Yeah. Yep. It is. I mean, there are shows that are eliminated for Emmys that I go, I've never heard of that show. I, I don't uh-huh. know that show. I mean, and I'm I'm grateful that these people are working and that's awesome. I'm so happy for everyone that gets a job. But when I go to a car lot, I'd like to choose from between like 15 cars. But now you go to the car lot and there's literally 5,000 cars in every single color, which means there's like 30,000 cars. Yeah. So, uh-huh. and that's what it's like when you're trying to choose a, a movie. I mean, guilty me sitting around, turning on a, on a streaming channel going, okay, let me just see what it is. You lean back and you go, and you go through every one of them. Yeah. And you're like, I don't even know what I want to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I know too many genres, too many different things coming from too many different directions. And then I end up going back to watching something like Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> a classic. Right? Yeah. Or, or, you know, or even uh, Andy Griffith, right. Yeah. Or just something like, you know, 
I can watch this show for the beginning, middle, or end, any time of the day, and I like it. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what I do. How much how much do you try and consume? Do you look at media consumption, TV, film as education for yourself, entertainment? How do you consume and how much do you try and consume? I don't consume as much as I should. Um, I, I do more movies um, lately. Uh, before I was doing a lot of TV series, my wife and I. Um, like I didn't even jump on the Suits bandwagon until couple seasons um, in <laughs> it was no it was six months ago yeah i never watched it it started in 2018 no 2013 uh -huh. never watched it never watched it blah, blah 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 we're in the middle of the pandemic okay didn't watch it we're in the sag strike and i keep hearing my wife hey you want to try this new show suits eh, it didn't it just didn't sound good to me yeah it just eh, suits eh, whatever so I'm literally with her watching. Well, she's watching and I'm on the bed, just scrolling, just doing stuff, working, whatever. So we're five episodes in and I walked out of the room and I walked back in. And for some reason, I didn't have my phone with me. And I go, oh, so is so-and-so still dating so-and-so? And is this happening? She goes, well, how do you know that? Well, yes, I mean, sir. I've heard it for six. Yeah. I don't see it, I've heard it. You paid so a little I, attention. <laughs> a little bit. And then I watched an episode with her and I'm like, this is pretty good. It was brilliant. <laughs> Yeah. It's and it's all about where my son goes to college. So I was like, oh, that's it. So it was more of an incentive for me to be like, oh, that's kind of cool. So yeah. there's there's all these little innuendos and this and that and kind of references. So we loved it. And I went back and caught up and have a blast. So my son, on the other hand, over the pandemic alone, he was a junior, a sophomore, junior in high school. Over the pandemic alone, he watched over 700 movies. Damn. So he did film theory while he was in high school and he went to a school that did cinema arts focus program as well. So he was always filming and shooting stuff, but he did theory. I mean, that's, he's a 1930s Japanese film. I mean, he, he knows everything about every director, every actor. I mean, he knows it all. That's his world. So uh, if he's a hundred percent, I'm probably 5%. Compared yeah. To yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Does he have any connection to West Virginia? Does he have any, has, has he spent any time back there and, Kind of hung out he's, as he had... he's been back with me. Um, connections other than family, no, but mm -hmm. um, if, if things keep going the way they're going and some of the projects that we're working on, I mean, he'll be working on a lot of these projects either in front of or behind this behind the camera with, with me for sure. Yeah, no, you're a big sports guy. I think you changed your ex profile picture to the, the Princeton Tiger logo there, right? The Tigers yeah. had a good season, and um, yeah, they did. Yeah, Dom Collins, quite the player, Kennedy Award winner. I know uh, you're probably pretty proud of uh, that program. Did you play yeah, any sports in high really, school? What did you play? Well, here, here's what's so interesting about that. I, I played sports all the way through my years. I, you know, younger, it was football, basketball, baseball, soccer. I did everything. And then I got to high school and I played basketball my sophomore year, didn't play football. Then I didn't play football or basketball my junior year because, you know, sophomore and junior year, because uh, I, I, no, sophomore year, yes, not my junior year, because I had a car and I had to pay for that. And then my senior year, I'm like, you know what? Senior year, let's go, let's go back and play football again. Um, so we all go there and we're driving back from a rival school and we decided to be really clever and we mooned the other school from the freeway and, um, the coach got wind of it and, you know, pretty much said, you know, you're going to run three miles every day, you guys, or you're <laughs> off the team. 
So one guy, which was stupid on my part, one guy stood up and said, well, I quit. And I said, well, we're all going to stick together. If you quit, I quit. And we all walked off the team. And it was the worst mistake I ever made in my life. Wow. And it was only a week later, you know, that player and another player jumped ship, went to another school, and they played another at another school. Hmm. And all of us sat down like, yeah, we learned a big lesson. Big lesson. That is a so, profound life lesson, yeah. Oh, it, it haunts me to this day. It was just just because I didn't – I was a follower. I wasn't a leader. Mm-hmm. And I went back to uh, premiere a movie we did. I think it was Mine Nine, a coal mining movie in Princeton at the Chuck Mathena Center. And I invited the head coach from 1990 to the to the show. And there was 900 people in the audience, and he showed up. And I remember standing and it was a hard, one of the hardest things I've done. I stood up in front of him and everyone else and I apologized to him. And that was about five, six years ago in front of everyone. I said, you know, I, I made the wrong decision and you did right by not letting us back on the team. So that was hard. It sucked, but it is what it is. But uh, with what they're doing now, you know, you see Eli going to Eli Campbell going to Air Force. And I think yep. another two or three kids might be going to Semina IA schools and then Dom's going to go to WVU. And um, yeah, there's never been a Moss and a Kennedy award winning. I mean, he swept state. I mean, he yep. swept. Yep. And um, it's really exciting. My cousin Chance Barker is the quarterback, which is exciting for me to be able to roo roo rah rah for him. So it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. I'm actually putting together a video I'm sending out this week for the entire team. Uh, some of the people that I did the movie Woodlawn with threw in some videos and uh and tony dungy and some players like that are coaches and i'm putting together this whole thing for them just so they have to commemorate them the, their season so it's, yeah. it's exciting for them yeah first yeah. state championship appearance i mean that's uh it was quite the run and, and then the game the semifinal game i forget the score with bridgeport 73 to 70, 70. Yeah. yeah lord i mean you don't even talk about a was there any defense here. i don't think there was any defense at all but that's okay well, it was a great game the crazy part was most of those touchdowns were scored in the second half it was like yeah. a it was a normal game up until the third quarter and then exploded yeah, 40, into I think, um if I'm not mistaken, Bridgeport scored 40-some points in the fourth quarter. Yes, yeah, to- nearly is- unanswered, too. I mean, I think it was it – had they had about three more minutes on the clock, Bridgeport well, <laughs> might have just well, made it. I remember Chance took the snap, and I'm watching this. There was, there was like, I don't know, five seconds left, and they're down by three. No, they're winning by three, five seconds left. And at this point, they're like, let's just kill the clock. Yeah. Yep. They're on the seven yard line, I think. And yeah. Shotgun yeah. Mode. I'm like, yep. I, I, I don't, I don't, I would not do. Sh- I mean, no. <laughs> so Chance literally got the ball and ran as far back as he could to fall down, I think, on the one or two with the time ran out. Yeah. Yeah. Just enough to kill the clock. I'm sitting in my couch here in Los Angeles going, I mean, I'm yelling. Yeah. Jump, freaking no! out. Screaming. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the best games I ever watched. And yeah. that's uh, and that's because JR1 Sports does that, which was fantastic. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that is one amazing, amazing thing now is that nearly every high school football game is being streamed. You can watch it from anywhere in the world. So, I mean, that's but that's what's uh, so good about cool. uh, the ESPN Plus package. Getting back to streaming. Oh, yeah. they got <laughs> um, it's the Hulu Disney ESPN Plus package. It's so a good deal. It's a good package. Even though my, my son's not playing ball for the school he goes to, I have friends whose kids play ball at, you know, volleyball or whatever sport. 
So I want to watch every sport I can. I'm watching fencing. I mean, it's, you know, I'm watching everything, basketball, football, you name it. I'm just a huge fan because the Art Institute of Pittsburgh did not have a team. Yeah. So I really never had a college team. So now I have my son's school. And then I guess I'll also be, of course, rooting for WVU because it's where Dom's going. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. Well, <clears throat> Kevin, thank you for jumping on today. This is a yeah. lot of a lot of great takeaways from this episode. So thanks for uh, spitting some wisdom. Oh man. It's just, it just, uh, I appreciate first off being asked anytime someone asks you to do something, it's at least I did something right. I didn't piss too many people off. So that's good. <laughs> Not at all. Please let us know when you're back in West Virginia, we'd love to maybe connect or if we that. could just kind of see some production behind the scenes. We would, that would be an honor for us to to be doing something like that. So please keep I'll, us in I'll the do loop. you one better than if we end up bringing these projects back, then we'll have you on the set and you guys can do your podcast from the set. That'd be fun. Yeah. Heck that'd yeah. be amazing. Yeah. We know, we know Homer pretty decently well too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we'd love that. He's a wonderful so, person. Yeah, he is. He is. Yep. And uh, you know, Homer yeah. is what I always say about Homer is he's so brilliant. He's probably one of the, if not the most brilliant man I've ever met, but he also is the one person that does not make you feel stupid. Yeah. You know, we're all stupid being around him. We're all yeah. like, he keeps talking like he, he, he allows you to feel, he allows you to feel confident within your own stupidity. Yeah. Oh, that's, wow. a West, that's a West Virginian for you right there. Yeah, what that's a treat. Right. That's well, a fellow West Virginian. For, thank, thank you both for having me. It's, you guys are fantastic. I love yeah. you. Cool. Thanks, Kevin. That was Take great. Care,